Oliver Humperdinck, the assassin, and Oxbaker. My men. I'm confused. Those are your Those men. Those are my guys. Day one. <laughs> I'm confused. I love that era. I used to sit with my granddad and, and watch them when I was little. That's the greatest, the greatest times ever in pro wrestling. Just the oh. greatest. By far. Oh, you got old guy look, shit. Look at that smile, man. Well, welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay, and um, I'm going to let Gary, who's here today, introduce our guest. Oh, so we got Dan Lambert today, the owner of America Top Team, pro wrestling and MMA legend, good friend of mine, known him for years. I use the All word right, legend. I got uh, to call bullshit on the, on the good friend part, but go ahead. Uh, yeah, I thought it was going to be the legend part you were going to call bullshit on. I was on. going to, but then I saw something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's this guy I know that I had to work with for like five months or 10 years, it felt like, 10 years ago. Or eight years, seven. Oh yeah. Anyway, this is Dan Lambert. <laughs> How you doing today? I'm good. How you guys doing? Good, good. Doing great, man. Super excited to have you on. Yeah. So uh, I'm in Vegas. Both of you guys are in Florida. So uh, anything crazy could happen at any time for you too, because Florida's nuts. But mm. um, we're the last bastion of freedom, my friend. <laughs> I will say that this place does march to the beat of its own drum. We do whatever the hell we yeah, want, right. and um, it's. Not without its uh, newsworthy effects. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ron looking out for us. Yeah. Absolutely. You say last bastion of free. Yeah. I mean, pretty much it looks like a free for all most of the time when I'm there. Um, the way it started a couple hundred years ago, too. So, yeah. I'm pretty passionate about Florida. I've seen some uh, some different articles and it seems like you uh, you really love this state. I'm a fan. Let me do what I want to do. It's got good weather. Um, what more could you ask for? Not a whole lot. And you're a Hurricanes fan. So that's a, that's a good thing. And we are in good hands with Mario Cristobal and company now. So about time, about time, been 20 hard years. Yeah. Some, some shit's going to hit the fan though. (laughs) My best friend's a Canes fan and he's like, just already like, oh man, what's going to happen now? Some like they're they're gonna find a hooker somewhere or something's gonna right. be over. Eyes ahead. <laughs> Follow a line of cocaine to some kind of <laughs> oh. I'm a nineties Canes fan, so it oh, was yeah. like, you know, there was a lot of shenanigans back then. Yeah, yeah. that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a short, glorious ride, I'll take twenty years of oh, yeah. I loved every minute of it. Yeah, that's I'll take that too. Uh Browns fan, Cleveland. Teams, yeah, we had we had LeBron, and then you guys stole him. And then we stole him back. He's still kneeling on a fucking towel, so he doesn't bruise. Tell us what you really think, man. <laughs> those are expensive knees. <laughs> a lot of ortho work goes into those kinds of things. Yeah, I bet. Um, well, uh, for those who don't know, uh, you know about America Top Team. It's the you know the I'd say the largest and the premier MMA team camp organization. Um, and that's how I met Dan doing the Ultimate Fighter um, years ago when they did Black Zillions versus America Top Team. And it was fucking nuts every day. I, I don't know how else to describe it. I've been to fights all over the world and I've never been to better fights than on that show or crazier. I mean, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, what, lot, what do you remember? A lot, a lot of great talent came out of that show. Unfortunately, most of it was on their side, but uh, it was still fun. Yeah, yeah but uh, the tides turned into your favor there at the end, man. That was uh, that was quite the uh, the flip of the events. Yeah, that was just a poor management on their part, I think. But hey, take what we can get. Well, you know what though, I'd like to point out something. You gave that win charity. Uh, we that's did. that's the coolest fucking thing about it. Like you see, so many people in your position that would be celebrating a windfall and taking a briefcase full of cash and doing whatever with it, but you just turned right back around and handed it to them. Yeah, you know, we talked to all the guys. They 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 voted on it, and everybody voted to give it up. So uh, they were just pretty happy. You even did a vote. I like it's that. Still a democracy down here in Florida. Last time I checked. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I ne- I never known you to run that place like a dictatorship at all. I mean, you've always been behind the scenes and, and it seems like, you know, when you have to crack the whip, you probably do, but it's not public and everybody seems to have a say there whenever I've been around, which is definitely a cool thing. Um, try to keep it that way when, when possible. Yeah. It's, uh, for those who don't know, you know, uh, you know, normally we do the ultimate fighter show of 30 something seasons in a very controlled environment on a set in Las Vegas. Down there, we did it at Dan's Gym, America Top Team, and the Black Zillions Gym. And it was 150 people, um, probably split, 75 on each side, almost all pro fighters that fucking hated each other. And it was my job to make sure that there was a lot of drama, but no one actually fought each other outside of the cage. Um, 145 pounds at the time, like 5'3 with the Timberlands on. And I had a conference call every day. <laughs> Timberlands. I like that you added that part. Yeah. I mean, it was fucking nuts. I mean, it was the Brazilians on one side chanting, you're going to die in Portuguese. The American top team chant ATT <laughs> banging on the apron, the refs and the timekeepers and the judges. Well, you can't do it. They had no fucking say in anything. I mean, the last day armed guards had to walk the ref to his car. <laughs> like, I mean, it was nuts. Jesus. It, you could feel the legit <laughs> tension in that situation every time, every episode, whenever I turned it on, I was, and it's funny, you know, I'm a fan of the UFC. I'm a fan of Tough um, long before I met Gary. And I haven't watched every season, but there's a few that stick out to me that I did happen to be in the seat for watching. And that was one of them. I think that the tension shined through in those fights. I mean, that was, when, when, like you said, when it crammed into a little gym and all those guys there and everybody doesn't really like each other that much. It was, I saw it on TV come across, but when you were there, it was like next level. People were, people were intense. Primal, yeah. man. That's some primal shit there. Yeah, you had like Bigfoot Silva and Anthony Rumble Johnson forehead to forehead about the fight. You had Tyrone Spong about the fight, Robbie Lawler, like in the parking lot. And you had like, you know, the little guys like Michael Johnson and uh, the Andrew guy, uh, got his last name, Whitney, like they're my size. They're about to fight. And I'm like trying to break that one up and then trying to like, I just looked at Tyrone and Rumble. And Is this where professional wrestling met MMA for the first time? <laughs> Sometimes I have a hard time separating the two, so I'm probably not the yeah. right person. Oh, no, that's your world. Yeah. You you definitely yeah. have both of those on lock. Yeah, that, those are both my worlds. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, you got it good. You know, I think, uh, you know, it's like living out your dreams as a kid, like in, in reality, like we always, who do you make fight or who, you know, I want to be a wrestler. Like, how did you, you know, how did you get back into the wrestling and, and like become, you know, a part of that after that, you know, the long run at MMA? Um, actually at first, you know, I never knew anybody in the wrestling world, you know, other than Bobby Lashley who trained down here and, and, you know, me and a bunch of my old Mark friends that used to grow up going to all the matches down at Miami Beach Convention Center every Wednesday night, we would bring in a wrestler every month to come down and have dinner with us and tell all the old stories, which is just a blast because their lives back then were just crazier than anything you could possibly imagine. Insanity. So we've had, I mean, you, you name an old school wrestler, I've had him down for dinner, but I never had any other involvement or attachment to the business other than just being a big fan for a long time. And I was at a UFC show in Nashville and Jeff Jarrett happened to be sitting next to me. So we struck up a conversation and he knew Bobby Lashley had trained at our gym and he was an MMA fan and we talked and super nice guy. And a couple weeks later, he sent me a text and said, hey, I have an idea about like an MMA pro wrestling angle. Would you guys be interested? And I'm like, absolutely. (laughs) I've been waiting for this. Man, wow, in my dreams. So we did something for like six months, which was really fun. We had a blast. And then I just figured, okay, my pro wrestling fantasy camp's over. I'm good. And then a few years later, King Mo was was doing a little pro wrestling at this smaller indie organization named MLW. And I went there and did some stuff with him. He asked me to go manage him for some matches, and that was fun. And then I just, uh, I became friends with Tony Khan through Masvidal. He was talking to uh, Jorge Masvidal one one day down in Miami about doing something. And uh, Masvidal's manager, Malky Khan, was like, hold on a second. He called me up. He's like, hey, I, I need you to come down to Miami. I'm like, dude, I just sat down to dinner with some friend from out of town. And my wife, I'm not going anywhere. Food doesn't even, he's like, well, I got Tony Khan down here. When, I said, okay, I'll see you later. I'll be there in a minute. And I just left <laughs> a trail of fire and smoke. And uh, and then we were just friends. We became friends. I started going to shows. He you know, let me sit up front and watch the shows. And then they were coming down for a show in Miami. And we were talking. He's like, man, it'd be cool if you came to a show and brought some of the fighters and maybe got in the ring and talked some shit or something because it's in Miami. I'm like, yeah, that'd be fun. And went down and did it. And one of their guys came out and smashed me. 
And that was supposed to be it. I'm thinking, wow, that was awesome. And then like a couple weeks later, he's like, hey, that kind of got over good. Would you, you want to come back? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. So I did it, did it for a year and it was, it was a blast. That's super awesome. Yeah. How do you feel? Is it going to be another resurgence again? Or are you going to keep going back? I mean, it seems like it's in your blood now. It was fun. It was, I, I can see why those guys never want to leave. It's like wrestlers never retire, it seems. Um, I can see why it's, it's pretty addictive. When you, when you get in there, it's it's so much fun. But uh, I don't know. You know, I did it for a year. It was a blast. I think, you know, the little gimmick we had kind of started losing a little steam towards the end. So I'm like, I think this is a good time to leave. One of the guys was hurt anyway. So uh, I said, hey, I'm going to go back and stop coming for a while. He's like, hey, if I have a good idea, will you come back? I'm like, sure. So it's open. We'll see. Yeah, that's cool. Like, I've always wanted to. I couldn't do the wrestling part myself, but I think I could play the sleazy manager pretty good. Are you, you kidding Jimmy Hart? Running around yeah, in, yeah, the, in the background. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically myself. So it's like, you know. He's one of the guys we brought down for dinner. He was a blast. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. He seems like such a cool guy. I heard that um, Gary was telling me that you had Ellie and Jim the Anvil uh, at your house there too at one point because we had her on not long back. Yep. She, they came down for dinner. She was, a, she was a sweetheart. She had some great stories talking about, uh, you know, the dungeon and, you know, being around the family all those years. It was, it was super cool. It's amazing getting that time. Yeah. I, you know, you before we, before we started, you mentioned Ox Baker, who's an old heel from the 70s and maybe early 80s. And uh, I, I had, last night, we had an old referee from the WCW days, Tommy Young down. And he was telling his stories. And one of the guys who came to the dinner is just a friend of ours named Gangrell, David Heath. He's an old school wrestler, been around a long time, started. He's actually who Edge and Christian started with when they came out with the vampire gimmick, the brood in WWE. <laughs> He was married to Luna Vachon, part of the, the Vachon family. And he Ox Baker's name came up and he told a story that Luna had told him back when, when she was alive and when they were married. And she said Ox Baker was such a mean, evil heel that he was over her dad's house for dinner. And when her dad would get up and walk out of the room, he would lean over and grab her cup of milk and drink it and let it drip down his chin and laugh at her. <laughs> That's a milk front of her he was just a heel all around that's something that ellie was saying you know because i asked i said you know who's jim the anvil because he was i love the the heart foundation back then that was like my thing it was when the house quieted down there's no fighting no nothing except for you know play fighting and i asked her i said how was jim outside of the ring or with the family and she's like exactly the same and i was like that made me so fucking happy because it just lends credit to the fact that the wrestling industry harbors the most authentic people and it's why it keeps standing that test of time because the people in there are being themselves and having fun with it and people are just attracted and want to look at it you know it's it's funny how i tell there's a lot of people that love mma hate pro wrestling and vice versa and then there's a cross-section of people that like both which i think is bigger than some people want to admit but there's a there's so many things in common that the two businesses have if you follow their paths in the historical and you know promotional wars and TV deals and the way they deal with talent. And there's just so many things that intersect and follow along the same path. But one of the things they have in common is the more authentic their characters are, the more that their character reflects their true self, the more they get over. And, and, and people who get into a character like a Conor McGregor, that guy's wild. That guy's funny. That guy, he's everything he looks like. You're just sure that's what he's like in real life. Whereas you get somebody who is just trying to manufacture a gimmick Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, some people think that like a, a Henry Cejudo is kind of cringeworthy in some of his stuff or some people don't get into some of the Colby stuff. They're like, well, that's probably not what they're really like in, in real life. And it's the same thing in wrestling where the guys, they just, you know, a lot of those guys, especially like in the 70s and 80s, their gimmick is who they were, you know. Yeah, it was and if Florida it, too. So everybody was at 7-Eleven. You saw your local wrestler there and he was acting just the damn same in the aisle when you got to see him there. Hundred percent. I, I hear a funny story along that those lines. We were uh, one of my friends. He's the one who researches where all the guys are and finds them and tries to get them to book to come down to to sit with us for a night. And he he got Nikita Koloff set up. So when he gets closer, he'll send me the, you know the name and the the date of birth and the airport says, "Hey, book their flight." So he sends it over to me and it's like Nikita Koloff, date of birth. He's coming from here. But and I sent him a text back and said, "Hey, asshole, I I, I don't think." Delta Airlines is interested in his stage name. Isn't his name like Sean Simpson or something like that? He's like, no, he changed his name when they gave him the gimmick. Legally. The guy's oh. name is Nikita Koloff. 
It's Commitment. like they just <laughs> yeah <laughs> to a whole new level. Yeah, those guys uh, they buy into it. I love it. Yeah, I like when uh, when you just shed all of them and just stand there as yourself. Because I did watch I watched some some of the the promo videos from AEW when you were going off on like Baltimore, you know, and and telling them everything that sucked about Baltimore. And I can tell you, it felt cool because you were having fun. You could tell that you were just getting a kick out of what the fuck you were saying. And I feel like I that's ha- what it comes in there. What's that? I was having a blast. <laughs> you got to watch that video, guy. Okay? It's amazing. He slams the yeah, entire watch city, it. but it's all, it's all as a great heel work. It was a lot. Yeah, of fun. I mean, it's, it was all true. It was probably all true. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, it's exactly true. how you feel. <laughs> yeah. Except the part uh, where I'm, I said the crabs that I ate sucked. The crabs oh, the were crab cakes. <laughs> crab cakes were actually. That's what they got going for them. Hey, that's okay, man. Uh, I'll take some crab cakes any day of the week. You're not. Well, you're not from Baltimore, right? You're from Indiana. I'm from Baltimore. Or, no, oh, you are from Baltimore. Yeah, that's right. Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say you got you got to say Baltimore. it like that. Yep. You got to like with like I don't know like you got laryngitis mixed with like bronchitis or whatever. It's like <laughs> it's a weird it's a weird accent because like the rest of the state doesn't sound like that. It's like yeah, Monday, you know, Tuesday, like, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Got to change the oil in my car. Fucking morons. Uh, well, down here, yeah. Florida's no better. We say Earl. <laughs> Did you say <laughs> like, that? Like, it's a dude's name that changed Earl in your car. Florida's way better. <laughs> Is it? I've never really spent any time in Baltimore. It didn't come up on my radar of places to vacation. So unless work took me there, it wasn't happening. I went up for an Oriole game last month. It was, it's still, it's still the same. <laughs> this is, this is a PSA for uh, Baltimore. I got a Brooks Robinson baseball mitt in my trunk. Nice. I went and saw him when he got inducted to the Hall of Fame. Huge Oriole. Yeah. Fan. Yeah. I've been to Camden Yards. I, I wanted to go to all the parks eventually. Um, I've been to like 30 of them, but Camden Yards is one of the nicer ones for sure, especially when it was new. Man, it still looks the same though. It, yeah. yeah. It looks like the day it was built. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, they built it in the last. I mean, I miss the old Cleveland Stadium and pissing in the troughs and, you know, like the, the grimy spots. pissing in a trough? There's nothing to tell like, about like, that part. <laughs> yeah, it was like the whole thing. It was just gross. Like, you didn't maybe, want to go in there. Maybe he missed you. Yeah, that's true. Say. And I remember I'm at eye level. That's pre-divider. <laughs> you know? I'm at yeah, eye was, level. Hey, yeah, it's pre divider for sure. There's 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 no there's no uh, there's no dividers at that place. <laughs> that was like, oh man. Oh my like, God. Oh, I'm gonna I wanna hand sanitize just talking about it. Like those are <laughs> See? Like who gets nostalgic over a pisser? <laughs> oh man. I get what you mean. It's the environment, it's the time, it's the enjoyment. I think that's um why people stick to their specific teams and sports and things like that. Because you become attached to that feeling and that nostalgia in the beginning. It's super happy and you recreate it over and over again with a group of people that enjoy doing it. Yeah, I think so. And that's how wrestling is too. Like I was not, you know, I I got away from it for a long time and then my brother had kids and they got really into it maybe eight, 10 years ago. And uh, I have a good friend that works for WWE that hooks me up with tickets and we get to keep our seat and all that shit. And, you know, I started taking them and I got back into it. It was just, it was the environment is just crazy. You know, it's like we we're going in LA and you got all the black people, Mexican people, white people, like it doesn't matter. It's like every kind of different ethnicity and looks like, you know, social economical divide and all that shit didn't matter. People are just fucking cheering and screaming and like posters and, you know, everyone's high-fiving in the, you know, the, the hallway after and it seemed like it didn't matter. Everybody was cool and having a good time and like bought into it and just where everyone, no matter how old you are, you're acting like a kid. Same as when we were eight years old on the couch screaming for Hulk Hogan, you know? No judgment. We we did yeah. a segment on AEW where they wanted us to bring like one fighter from each promotion with with me to do a promo. And they wanted them, you know, each wearing their UFC shirt, their Bellator shirt, their PFL shirt, their bare knuckle fighting shirt. So, you know, we're there and, you know, we had like Andre Arlovsky and Junior DeSantos and Kayla Harris and <laughs> Bell and Dalton Rosta and Austin Vanderford from Bellator and Paige Van Zandt came with her bare knuckle shirt on. And, and we're in, before we go out there, Kayla Harrison, she's like, I can't believe I'm coming to a pro wrestling show. And I'm like, shut up and walk out to the, the ring and just, you know, just, just mind your business and, and you'll love it. It'll be great. And she's like, this is stupid. This is fake. And so we walk out to the ring and literally within 10 steps on the way to the ring and everybody's screaming and yelling. She's like, yeah, fuck you and flicking them off. And she's <laughs> 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 loving it. We get back to the dressing room after the promo and 
they, everybody, including her, was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Holy shit, I wish MMA fans were like that. These guys are into this. That was a blast. Yeah. And it's it's not supposed to be real. It's not even supposed to be real. And people would still love it to the degree that it's actually, it's a soap opera. It becomes part of people's lives. Ellie said that people would come up to Jim and like the grocery store and start yelling at him like he did something for real in, in the ring. Like it was real life. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> you know, the, the German guys weren't really terrorists and die hard. Nobody died when the ship sank in the end of exactly. You know, people still fuck Hans Gruber. I mean, it's just television isn't real. Game of Thrones wasn't real, but the fucking dragons are cool as shit. Fuck you know, get into it. I love it. And let me tell you something. As far as the reality based, those wrestlers take 10 times the beating MMA guys do. Every MMA Way guy worse. I know that's tried professional wrestling has been like, holy shit, those guys are out of their minds. Yeah, it's like every week. Yeah. When I watch it, I find myself less watching the uh, the interaction more like, how much of this actually hurts? Which, how are they doing that with it? It becomes more of watching an athletic prowess at some point where you're like, that's fucking, this dude just backflipped off of a top rope, landed specifically on top of a person without breaking his neck. I tried some shit like that. I'd be folded up like a lawn chair after the first try. Who the hell balances on a rope and flips at the same time? Those guys yeah. take AB <clears throat> and they're athletic. Yeah, they have to be. And you like you have to act while you're hurt. They get hit in the nuts for real. They get hit for real, and they still gotta like play through it. You know, these guys break their fucking arms in the middle of the match, and they don't. You know, the end of it, they're probably like, "Oh fuck!" But they live, you know, and work through it. Yeah, ten story or you know, ten foot ladder off the apron onto a yeah table that's meant to break away, but you still just jump twenty feet to the fucking ground. Yeah, stand, stand yeah. behind the curtain backstage and just watch them walk back after their matches. <laughs> they're not skipping. No, no. Yeah. they can't be. They absolutely can't be. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't the, even seem like something that could be possible with the fact that like the ECW type stuff they did for so long, you know, those guys were just completely off the rails. I used to go to ECW shows at the uh, War Memorial Auditorium when I was younger and, you know, WWE you're bringing signs to get uh, you know to be part of the show, you know. ECW you would bring weapons and they would come out and fight with <laughs> and use that in the match. And I'm thinking, I'm going to bring a frying pan this time. And sure enough, they're grabbing my frying pan, hitting the guy over the head with it. And I thought it was great that I saw someone brought a fucking cheese grater. And they used, oh. they used it. And those guys were just batshit crazy. What, what adrenaline level are you at at that point when you're letting somebody cheese grate your ass for in the name of a <laughs> entertainment? And then they're going to the next house show the next night in the next city and they're yeah, doing it again. For like no money for those leagues back then. It was probably nothing. Barely bus fare. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's obviously different now. You know, the, the travel's a lot less. It's a lot less appearances. And, you know, they might be flying instead of driving. But, man, those guys still take a beating. So, yeah. I, I have to ask, Dan, you're you're a businessman at the beginning of this. You're You're doing all this stuff outside of the MMA and wrestling world. And when I was reading through different things, it, it seemed to be that you kept MMA and wrestling as your passion and utilized the business world to support it. Am I correct in, in kind of thinking about how that worked? Yeah. I mean, trying to make a living at the MMA side of it or the pro wrestling side of it. I mean, that's a, that's not an easy task right there. Um, running a gym, you know, I don't know if you consider that a business. I think a lot of those guys have jobs, not businesses, you know, and they got to mm. go there and they got to pound it and they got to try to, you know, save money, conserve this, conserve that, and and just try to get by doing it. You know, we, I, I had the luxury of having a, several outside businesses, which were pain in the ass in their own right. And there was a lot of time mm -hmm. the last 25 years where I wish I could have been spending more time in the gym doing what I like and less time being at work, which, you know, if it was something you really liked, it wouldn't be called work. Um, but you know, you're hundred percent right. That was, a, that side of it was successful and that allowed me to fund the stuff that I like doing. You know, some people work hard to make money because they want to go out on their boat or go fishing or go skiing or, you know, take vacations to this place or that place. I like making money so I can spend it on MMA. See, and I love that. The reason why I asked that is we're trying to, you know, get people to recognize that when you pursue your passions, things will work in the direction of the place that you're being most authentic with. And it's so great to see that you made the business world work for you. 
you didn't work for the business world and created probably some of the the greatest bonds and I would probably guess some of the best, most charitable contributions came through what ATT and and all of that type of area. Am I correct? I mean, couldn't have done any of it without the businesses I had on the side funding it. You know, it's just the way it is. You know, you can still you can have all the money in the world and try to throw it into you know something that you like. It doesn't mean it's going to be successful. You've got to put a lot mm-hmm. of time and be good at it. And you know, you think running an MMA gym with a hundred fighters and all those egos and all those maniacs and the coaches and everything that goes with it. You think that shit's easy? Come try it. It's not. Hell no. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of people try. But at the a lot of people have tried, and a lot of people have lost a shit yeah. ton of money doing it. You know, almost everyone almost the guy on the other side of that that season of the Ultimate Fighter, but. It's mm. it's a lot easier to do it if you have some you know some backing <laughs> that's for damn sure. Absolutely, so, you know, knock on wood, I had that. And, you know, I, I worked hard for it, and I use it doing something I really enjoy. So, what would you tell someone that is trying to pursue their passions and they're in a different career right now? Um, you know, I, I'd love to just sit there and say, find something you love doing, and you'll never work a day in your life. You know, go chase your dreams. Right. Blah, blah. But fucking like I said, if it was fun, it wouldn't be called work. Work ain't fun, you know, fucking suck it up, do what you got to do and give it your best and work hard. And when your opportunity comes your way, fucking grab it. You know, everybody think, oh, this guy got lucky. This guy got lucky. No, that guy found an opportunity and he mm. on it and worked really hard when he got that opportunity to make it work. That's what luck is when, 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 when opportunity meets preparation, you know, it's mindfulness, yeah. paying attention to your surroundings. I read something the other day uh, that was talking about there's different ways to view time. One was that you will walk through time or you'll push it or you'll pull it. And one is ego driven and one is like anxiety, depression given, right? Because if you're going through life and you're moving forward, you're in control. If it's coming at you, you're not, you know, and you're letting life happen to you. But then there's a third that I was thinking about and it's kind of like sitting on a pedestal. And if you're standing on that pedestal and letting life happen around you, then you have the ability to see who's pushing, who's pulling and which areas are going to work best for you. And I kind of feel like that's that's that happy medium that someone like yourself has. You, you're talking about grabbing those opportunities in the in the now, recognizing them when they exist, but not striving to get them the whole time. Some deep shit right there. Yeah, I was trying to press all day. <laughs> that's me. I mean, I, I need the pedestal just to see over the steering wheel. I thought I was being slick with the preparation, luck, opportunity line. Yeah, you beat yeah. me there. I like it. Well, yeah, that's what we do here, and honestly. I spend a lot of time thinking about different (laughs) analogies and things like that because shit's confusing. And the more that you can simplify things and just look at them, it makes it a lot easier to comprehend and shows people are so fucking alike that all of these situations are exactly the same, just with different decorations on it. We think we're fucking so original as humans, but we're fucking just doing the same dance next to each other with different, you know, masks on. That's it. That's it. And I love, though, that when someone like yourself shows that authenticity and gets the opportunities that you do because you're being authentic, it really, it sets up a path for other people to see that if they're just themselves, just who you are. When you wake up in the morning, don't try to remember who you were yesterday, what you did, all those other things. Just be you and you get the opportunity to fucking work in pro wrestling, MMA, be a fucking big businessman, you know, all these things because you took the opportunities when they were there. And didn't take shit for granted. I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of singing you a little praises here, but I appreciate it. Fair enough. I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, it's like if you don't pull any punches, like some people are going to think you're an asshole and they're just not going to want to deal with you. But the people that do, you know, those are the people you want to be around. And those are the people that you can trust and can trust you. Because I don't look like a TV producer. I never have. People say the same shit. You got lucky. But I mean, it's it's a hard fucking job. It's not easy. We were down there in Florida. I worked 18 hours a day for three months straight. Didn't have one day off the very last day. Me and this guy Rambo that I worked with forever, the nicest guy in the world, walked to the beach for the first time. And, uh, you know, I put, it's funny. I, I, I didn't wear like America Top Team or Black Zillion shit the whole time because I had to be neutral, packed up everything. And, uh, I had an America Top Team shirt on. I walked just to the corner, have lunch with, uh, Rambo and I look and Rashad Evans is at the next table. 
He's like, I fucking knew it. I fucking knew it. You fucker traitor. Motherfucker, you knew me since season one. Like, you were on their side the whole time. I'm like, no, no, yes, no. You like, were. You can admit it now. It's been years. Fuck you, Rashad. Yeah. They won the yeah, this, whole time. The statute of limitations is over. <laughs> He's like, I knew it, man. We're supposed to be homies, man. I knew it. Like, I was, it was, it was tough because every day, like, someone was trying to get an advantage and call me and, you know, and just digging for whatever they could they could find. And, you know, I had like, I had Jorge Mastin all trying to fight me every day because of a stupid Miami Heat hat that I made him take off the first day. Like, <laughs> it was when LeBron first went there and uh, he's got the Heat hat on and we can't wear it because of the logo. So I'm like, hey, man, like, can you take that off? And uh, rest in peace, Kimbo. He was a good friend of mine. He was like, man, you're allowed to wear that. He just hates the Heat. He just fucking doesn't oh, want you no. wearing it. And I was like, no, no, like, you can't. So the next day, he just walks in, like, no hat on. He's like, wait a second. He walks back to his car, comes on, puts it on right in my face. He's like, can you tell me to take it off? And I'm like, yeah, man, you got to take it off. He's like, you know, make me take it off? I'm like, I don't really know I'm going to make you take it off, but, like, it would be cool if you did. He's like, I never take this hat off again. He just walked away. And I was like, he wore it every day for three months. <laughs> like, I was like, Joe, and Kimbo was like, got yeah. kind of respect that he did it the entire time. <laughs> Yeah, like, I think he had a sweat marks right here and shit, you know? And I know he likes to look fresh, and he's just wearing that dirty head just to spite me every day. And Kimbo be like, man, I was just joking, man. He's like, no, man, you're trying to save that little motherfucker now. And I was like, man, I don't need saving. He's like, you need saving. And I was like, oh, shit. It's like, oh, man, that dude, man, Kimbo was a guy, like, I mean, book by its cover, fucking shit people say, like, that's a good man to, you know, bring that up. He was a good guy. Everybody loved Kimbo. He always seems so happy. Like, just a genuinely happy dude. Yeah. When he fought Scary Shamrock and Bellator, and his his post-fight interview was, you know, he ended up getting kind of like a rear naked choke. And he's like, ATT, <laughs> I was <laughs> laughing balls off. Greatest post-fight interview until Derek Lewis. Yeah. Travis my, Brown. My, my, my balls inside. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I had to pick him up at the hotel. His season ultimate fighter, and just me and driving over. And he's like, "Yeah, my manager, Icy Mike, says I can do whatever the fuck I want." So like, I'm allowed to call my kids. I'm allowed to use the TV. I'm allowed to do all that shit. I'm like, uh, I don't really know about that. I'm talking about. He's like, "You better not let me do none of that shit." So like, if I ask, he's like, "I don't care if we a month in. I'm begging you, don't let me do none of that shit." He's like, "I don't want shit that anybody else doesn't have." He's like, "I'm gonna ask. Him. I'm gonna miss my family." But he's like, "You fucking don't let me," you know. And he like. Right. He probably could have figured out a way if he went through all that shit to get a little, you know, and I, I would interview him for so long because he was just mad interesting that people were, like, made all these stories. He's down there watching TV. He's fucking watching Friday down there smoking weed. You know, like everyone would make up these like word Kimbo go stories. But it was just like we just have four hour <laughs> interviews that would be 30 seconds on TV. But, you know, it's got along and he had just like, you know, spoken sound bites and. But then he would like get into some deep shit about, you know, all kinds of stuff like they would never expect. So, you know, that's like the people you meet in this sport. It's like the most violent sport. And you think people are going to be mean and shitty. But I don't know when you can fuck everybody up. You don't have to be like that. You could just be cool because you don't have to prove nothing, I guess. He was a good dude. Yeah. What an opportunity Um, to sit down with someone like that and get to have those hour long conversations with these people. Because you're right. Fighters, they they come from the most colorful backgrounds and they have the, the most trials and tribulations and and things like that. And when you go through a traumatic background, you've got perspectives on life that nobody else have. And getting the opportunity to put yourself on a camera and speak without having that filter of fucking judgment by the assholes out there that look at fighters or wrestling or whatever it is, you know, as some subpar sport or the intelligence is the same or some shit like that. When you give these guys a chance to sit there and fucking speak their mind, it really opens up the eyes of the people that are fucking judging them. And it gives fucking a voice to all those fuckers that don't get a chance to stand up and say something the way they could. Yeah. So it, it's tough. And uh, I mean, you, who, who do you think like of all the people that have came through your gym, you know, when you, when you remember this, who are the crazier characters or like the, the more, not necessarily for fighting, but who's going to stick out, you know, when you're retired of like, man, that person was like nuts or just like, I mean, the list is really long, but there's got to be a few that are going to be the most memorable. I mean, there's just diff- there's different levels of nuts, you know? I mean, <laughs> we've had to kick people out of the gym for, like, fucking trying to worship the devil inside the fucking gym and doing rituals and just losing their fucking minds. Just there, There's different levels of crazy, and then there's good crazy. 
You know, when, when I, when I think just the craziest dude in the gym, I just, I always think of Masvidal. I mean, what you see, what you see with that guy is what you get. Every part of that dude's life is just chaos and, and he thrives in it. You know, I try to, you try to get people to simplify their lives when they're fighters. It's like, man, this is not rocket scientist. It's not rocket science what you're doing right here. You know, this is fighting. Do this, do that. Get rid of this. Get rid of that. And focus on what you're doing here because your window of opportunity to succeed in it is, is not very is not very wide. Um, it's a short period of time. Make it while you can. And then you get somebody like him who's just fucking chaos in every aspect of his life. and But he thrives <laughs> in it. It's like he's successful in it. It's like, I'm going to sit back and watch this train wreck. And then he's going to be like Mr. Magoo when the airplane crashes on him. He's going to walk right out of it, looking better, smelling better, making more money than he did before it landed on him. It's just, you know, he's 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 like next level crazy, Miles at all. He finds his like, you know, he finds the right rivalry at the right time or the, you know, just the thing that's going to work for him in that moment and capitalizes on it. So living in the now, it sounds like he's like not worrying about 10 years down the road or what happened last week. He's taking the opportunities when they fucking land in his lap. That's the way you're supposed to live life. The rest of it's the fucking mental illness. I have a question. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) I have a question. What's an insult you've received that you're proud of? Um, I would say some people have come to our gym and, you know, I think, you know, I think the main thing we have going for us over at American Top Team is just we've been we've been doing it so long and we've done it on a bigger scale than most gyms. We have a lot of fighters or some gyms may have five pro fighters in the gym or 10 pro fighters in the gym. You know, we've got 100 pro fighters in, in our gym. You know, we've got 25 other affiliate gyms that send pro fighters to us to train as well. So we've done it for a long time with a lot of people. So we've had a lot more opportunity than other people have had to make mistakes over the years. And we make the mistakes like everybody else does, but we learn from them. So shit that this gym might be making a mistake right now. I'm like, oh my God, I fucked that up eight years ago. I'd, 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 I'd never screw that up now, but you're screwing it up now and your guy's fighting our guys. So our guy's going to be in a better position to win than yours is. Um, but you know, the, the main mistake we made for years and years and years was was not running our gym like a professional sports team because MMA wasn't really looked at like a pro sport. Mm. You know, when we, I mean, we fucking have been doing this since, you know, the mid-90s. And nobody knew what the shit was. The videotape days. Yeah, I mean, there were no books you could read about how how to run an MMA gym. I mean, what the fuck they were done. I'm surprised we didn't get killed with some of the stupid shit we did. NHB days. We would try to fit round pegs into square holes and just try to mix and match and keep everybody happy. And then over the years, we started realizing, man, you know, this is like a real sport. These are real athletes. There's real money to be made. Let's, let's, let's try to tighten this up and just get this structure and get it organized. And, you know, the biggest difference we've been over like the last 10 years versus the years before that is we've just gotten so much more structured and so much more organized. And, you know, I've had people come in and say, Jesus Christ, you run this thing like a fucking concentration camp over here. What the fuck? And, and, you know, when I go to my old gym, I could do this and we did that and we did this and we did that. And I'm like, that's a fucking compliment. You know, we do run it like that. It's a professional goddamn sports team. Who the fuck is this guy on the mat with you today? Oh, this is my old training partner from back in Keokuk, Iowa. You know, when I was a high school, what the fuck is he doing on our goddamn mat, taking up our resources and our coach's time and scrambling all over the place, rolling into somebody? If you're a wide receiver on the fucking Eagles, and you're <laughs> exactly. are you going to fucking show up with Dak at the fucking Cowboys fucking camp and go run some goddamn passing routes with their fucking offense? Who the fuck is? Get the fuck out of here. You know, like, well, that's not the way people- <laughs> we run our fucking gyms. You know, yeah. it's, this is, it's a real sport. There's a lot of money on the line these days. There's real athletes. And if you don't do your job in other sports, you know, you get cut and you lose your money. You don't do your job in this place, you get your fucking head caved in. Start thinking like it. So that's probably the best, you know, nasty I love it. that I took as a compliment. You, yeah. uh, you mm-hmm. care about the athletes quite a bit. Um, I don't know that people may have heard about this, but you did a... Is it a donation type? And what is it to the uh, players for the uh, Hurricanes so that now they can um, actually have some income while they're playing? I don't know if that's I care about those guys individually as much as I want the team to win, but uh, I guess it kind of goes hand in hand. I'm not a big fan of the NCAA. I think they're run by mm. a bunch of fucking scumbags who are just trying to siphon off as much money for themselves. And there's billions of dollars 
all these years, and they're just a bunch of sanctimonious schmucks sitting up there in their ivory <laughs> as much love as it. you know caviar as they can, while these kids are on the field busting their asses for an opportunity. Oh, well, you get a scholarship. Yeah, great. You know, go graduate with your fucking your scholarship and phys ed and see what that's going to do for you. You know, after you make yeah. billions of dollars for your school. Um, mm. So I, I've always thought that the, the football players in the NCAA got screwed. So when NIL passed and the kids had an opportunity to make some money, you know, while they're on the field for the name, image, and likeness, I thought it would be cool, A, to help them get some money because they deserve it. And B, I thought it would give our team a little bit of a leg up on the competition and be able to compete possibly with the Alabamas and Georgias and Ohio States and Clemsons of the world who have so many other things that they offer their kids, both legally and illegally that other schools don't have. Um, Mm. So I figured, Hey, let's, let's, let's try to be the first in the country to start a a team wide NIL program. So we were like the first sponsor slash business that set up a deal. And we set up a deal with all 85 players on scholarship at Miami and gave them each 500 bucks a month, you know, during the course of the year. I mean, Hey, you know what? 500 bucks. A lot of ramen, man. It's not. (laughs) 500 bucks a month in college is a lot of dough. Dude, it's enough to help your mom with her car payment if you want to. Get laid if you want to. Go out and eat some food. Get some new rims if that's what you want. Whatever the fuck you want. But it's it's real money. And we thought that, you know, Miami doesn't have a huge fan base of people that went to the school. You know, it's a, mm. it's a small school. They've got like 9,000 kids or something that graduate every year as opposed to some of the Bamas of the world that might have 50 and they got people that have been Alabama fans, you know, for generations and they donate and do all these things for their school. Miami doesn't have that. You know, half the schools from foreign countries and they think football is that, you know, black and white thing you kick with your foot into a net, you know, and then the rest <laughs> of the schools from the, you know, prissy places up in the Northeast and they don't give a shit about football. And if they do, they don't care about Kane's football. So, you know, it's a little bit of a disadvantage competing down here, but we got great fertile recruiting grounds because all the great high school players are down here. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of rich, successful businesses in Miami and a lot of bandwagon jumpers that can't wait for the next successful thing to jump on out the big threes no longer with the Miami Heat. So I thought, hey, why don't we like start some NIL businesses and see if we can get other businesses in the city to jump on board and try to make the Canes better and help their kids get some money. And if kids know that, if kids know that there's going to be NIL money there. That's going to factor in their decision on where to go to college. You know, you can't, 100%. Go, to, can't go to a high school senior and say, hey, come to Miami and I'll give you this when you get here. That's illegal. That's against the NCAA rules. That's against Miami's internal rules. But if everybody knows that all these players are getting it when they're there, it's going to, it's going to influence their decision. You know, I never, you know, our NIL program, we don't talk to kids that aren't part of the team that haven't enrolled at the school yet. But once they're there, they know they're at least getting that, and it's and it's grown since then. And other people have gotten involved. Mm. And there's one real big player, a local businessman down here, has done really well for himself, and he's doing great deals with with a lot of the Miami kids once they're here. So it's a good thing. I think it's amazing because you know, let's face it, this is a country that takes kind of like the uh, the military. Why do we always send the poor? We grab the people that are in the the least, you know or the worst circumstances and try to turn it around and, and put them in a sport so everybody else can get the money off of it. When in turn, you're giving them a chance to be able to support their families and, you know, each other at the earliest level for the talents that they've worked their asses off through high school to get. I think it's fucking the way that it should work. And if it makes the team better in the long run and gives me something to Fuck cheer yeah. instead of getting pissed off when they lose, hey, why not? Buckeyes are still it. much better, but it's cool. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> The Buckeyes are still much better. Always what will be. What the fuck be, is a Buckeye? Is that like a nut? It's, my it's a nut my mom makes so those at you. Christmas. They're like chocolate and peanut butter, right? Isn't that what a Buckeye is? No, so when like you get nuts. plays, you get to put like a sticker of a nut on your helmet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a spiky nut, though. It's like, it has no purpose. Nut? It just hurts really bad when you nah, throw it at every someone. Every time you make a good play, you get some nuts on your chin. Yeah. Or Buckeye. <laughs> the chin nuts. I never want those. Fucking hate oh. <laughs> that, that national championship that you claim from that from the Rose Bowl, I think it was that goddamn pass interference call to go into overtime. Come on, yeah, you forgot about all the bullshit Terry calls before Porter that. Was the referee who threw that flag, I will hate that scumbag to the day he dies. I hope he is. Dead. Yeah, I'm gonna send him a. Uh, I'm gonna find his. I'm gonna send him something nice. That fucking from you. If if this is the end zone right here. Okay, the play was over in this part, this corner of the end zone. There's a ref right there. He saw it. Glenn Sharp, perfect coverage. No, no penalty. Doesn't call it. 
This asshole Porter comes running from the far side of the field. Everybody's celebrating the game's over. He's still running. He's running. Everybody's hugging and cheering. He's running. He's running. He's running. And then he fucking throws a flag from over there. Get the fuck out of here. Bullshit. <laughs> I remember that being a Not very bitter, accurate call. But yeah. Table for two, bitter party. <laughs> <laughs> there was a that, that, that was terrible officiating that whole game, though. We both got that's it. The, Yours was at the that's, end. That's but. the second worst call in the history of sports. What's the first? What's the first worst? The first was a fumble in a Miami Notre Dame game. It was at the end of the game, and the Miami guy was reaching the ball out to score a touchdown, and he crossed the line, and the ball hit the ground, and and it, and it was a fumble, and they called it a fumble and gave it to Notre Dame, and it was either. You know, the ground can't cause a fumble. No. So it's just, it was... It's, it was probably coming it loose before, the though. Plane. Once it passed the plane, that's it. it. Every single... It was either a touchdown because it, re, it crossed the plane <laughs> or it was or his knee was down, but it, it's impossible to have it be a, a fumble. Even that, at least that ref admitted he made a mistake in that group. We, we need to have you back, Dan, and we need to do greatest worst calls and just talk about these. I think that... Uh, I think you'd be good to recall these because you get really <laughs> stuff about them. I love it. Pissed. <laughs> uh, my, my roommate, I got I got to introduce you to my old roommate. He's one of the, the best cinematographers in, in all of television. He's a, from Miami Canes fan, and we were living together at that time. Like he's still, he's my best friend, but he still hates me just a little from that day, just a little. Are bit. Are you a Notre Dame fan like, too? Or are you talking about the Ohio I mean, State game? Oh, just Ohio State. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Fuck Ohio. Yeah, I'm just I'm Buckeyes and <laughs> UNLV basketball. <laughs> I did like Rubs. Jerry Tarkanian. Yeah, you you remind me of him. Yeah, just I can't, old and mad. I can't fight you on the show. He was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, that's a that was a team. Uh, I like the Canes. I like that whole era, the eighties, gold chains, the cocaine, nineties, dude. They were hauling ass, <laughs> dude. Everybody was moving at like a four four forty was like the norm for like the entire team. It seemed like. Yeah, that that yeah. Notre Dame game I was talking about. I think it was like eighty eight, maybe it was eighty seven, and it was the Catholics versus the convicts time. It was. <laughs> I remember that. It was great. That's oh, too man. fucking funny. So I want to ask before we wrap up, is there anything we didn't ask that you would have liked to talk about or tell us or tell Gary, you know, like, fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, no, it's probably yeah. a few things I was hoping you wouldn't ask that you didn't. So good. Okay. Just, you, I don't uh, know. <laughs> I'm an open book. You ask a question, I answer it. I don't, whatever the fuck you want to talk about, I talk about. You don't want to talk about something, don't ask it. I appreciate yeah. you, man. And, and I appreciate you coming on. Gary, you got anything you want to wrap up with? Now there's a million stories, even from, you know, the, the time we were down there doing that show. Uh, we could talk, you know, all day about it, but it is a good example of people that work hard and do what they want to do and, you know, just keep it real whether people want to hear it or not, which, you know, I'll text them and he will fucking immediately answer me without hesitation. And it's going to be exactly how he feels about whatever fucking situation we're talking about. And a lot of people want to bullshit me all the time. So it's good when people just don't. I mean, it's a lot of times it's not something I really want to hear. But it's it's gonna be the truth, you know. Nothing's worse I, than I, fake I, I, people. Do. Fake people are the, the 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 scourge of the earth. They make life fucking such a pain in the ass. So fucking yeah, pathetic. I mean, they just care so much more about what people think than about the truth and reality. And what speaking of uh, this Notre Dame, my my first day ever working in TV, I was in Lorenzo Fertitta's office. He's a Notre Dame fan. And I didn't know about this hierarchy of television and the executive producers, this, and you don't, know, whatever. I was walking by his office and the game was on. I poked my head in. And, you know, he, he's the guy that owns all the stations, casinos, and owned the UFC for a while. And I was a 23 year old kid that still thought he was a gang member and rapper. And <laughs> like my, my friend I was just talking about had to take me to Burlington Co Factory to buy me a shirt that fit for my first day at work. I was living 20 deep in a fucking apartment with no front door because the cops had raided the place. And I had no business being anywhere near that. And, uh, I'm just like kind of laying back on the couch watching the game. And, and the guy that I still work for now, Craig Pelligian, who Dan knows, like walks in and he's like talking to Lorenzo. And, Lore and I make some comment. And Lorenzo's or Craig's like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, you don't know him? He works for you. He's like, he doesn't fucking work for me. He's like, he works for me. I'm like, are you, are, are you Pilgrim? He's like, are you Craig Pilgrim? He's like, it's Pelligian. And I was like, fuck, so like walk out. He's like cussing me out, you know? And then I like that day, I just told him how I felt about the situation and nobody else would do that. They're kissing his ass and, you know, and, and around that that time, people were still throwing sandwiches in people's face at work. If there's onions on it, and there's the tyrant <laughs> executive producer shit, and those be for me too, and like treating people with respect. So everyone was scared of like the higher ups. And I would always be like, "That's a stupid idea. I wouldn't do that." And everyone's like, "Well, you know." But would you, you know, would you want your friends ha having you walk around with a booger in your nose all day? Exactly. Or are you gonna fucking break their balls about that booger, you know? And I would, I would tell them how it felt. And sometimes mm -hmm. it got me into some shit, but he's kept me employed and. and 
I've done all the scenes of Ultimate Fighter and had great experiences because I was the only guy at the time that would just tell him what I thought. Lorenzo, you know? Lorenzo was cool as fuck. And unfortunately, he was a Notre Dame fan. His kid ended up going there yeah. and played there. Yeah. Which could be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Those, those guys are the same, though. If They're it weren't billionaires, be cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, the main reason, you know, the reason he ended up going to Notre Dame is that nah. SATs weren't high enough to go to Miami. Oh, man. Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> That's how you end a show, actually. Yeah. And just to let you know, if you ever come up into the Tampa area, you're welcome here in studio. Sit around. We can talk some BS about wrestling and MMA. Cool. Two of my favorite subjects, wrestling and MMA, not Gary. Uh, he talks about me all the time. <laughs> yep. Anytime. Have fun. What's up, academics? This is Jay. I'm here to talk to you about Into the AM. This is a clothing and apparel company that I came across last year that has the absolute coolest designs. And the reason why I was attracted to it is because I grew up without a lot of money, like many others, and had to shop on that outlet rack with the irregular items. Things like the fly was over four inches to the left, or the right sleeve would be twice the size of the left. It looked like I was growing horizontally. Like, it's okay, honey. You'll grow into your left arm. So you really don't get a chance to express yourself the way that you want to. You go into life, you start putting on suits, you start putting on uniforms, and you realize you'd never had a chance to truly express yourself. Enter into the AM, a team of artists and creators who share a common vision. They see clothing as a canvas to express what drives you. Since 2012, They've developed premium apparel that elevates self-expression and provides unparalleled comfort for wherever your passions take you. Into the AM's passion for change is the driving force behind their brand. They remain committed to creating products that inspire and promote self-expression by partnering with like-minded organizations focused on giving back to communities in need. Last year, they donated 1% of all revenue from their graphic tees collection to the Art of Elysium charity. The Art of Elysium is an artist organization built on the idea that through service, art becomes a catalyst for social change. For over 24 years, the Art of Elysium has paired volunteer artists with communities to support individuals in the midst of difficult emotional life changes. They currently offer 110 community programs per month, serving over 30,000 individuals per year. The only permanent thing in life is change. Supporting charities dedicated to helping those going through these changes, trials, and tribulations require a never-ending commitment. The onus is on us as creators to affect change through our true, authentic talents, and Into the AM is the model of how this is done. Their clothes are handcrafted with care. They have a team of skilled artisans that craft each garment with the highest quality fabrics and eco-friendly inks. Not to mention, these things don't shrink, they don't fade, and they fit as if they were designed supernaturally. I'm stopped every time I wear one of the graphic tees to find out where I got it. The colors attract attention from miles, and the art is nothing short of spectacular, with designs for everyone. One of my personal favorites, Twilight Maiden. Go take a look. Into the AM does all of this while putting their money where their mouth is. 30-day money-back guarantee, lightning-fast shipping, and hassle-free returns. The deals are endless. Graphic tee bundles, discount promo codes. Get over there. Check it out. I'm highlighting the tees. But I'd be remiss to not mention that if you want to walk around in the absolute most comfortable shorts, joggers, and basic tees, hit up into the end. I even wear the basics to the gym. Head on over to thetragedyacademy.com, go to our sponsors tab, and follow the affiliate link to the Into the AM store. Help support Into the AM and the Tragedy Academy by purchasing the absolute best apparel and the best designs ever. And remember, academics, be cool and keep learning.